0: You're tuned into the Chug LLPs podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues.
1: everyone. My name is Navdeep Urmiamber. I am a senior partner and uh, an immigration attorney with the Chuk firm based in Santa Clara, California. So, what we will be covering today? Um, just to give an overview about uh, employment-based green cards. Uh, you know, in the past, uh, I have covered downgrade of I-140 and filing 485. So we thought we would cover some of the topics related to green cards, uh, because a lot of my clients had questions, so I thought it would be helpful if we can answer some common questions we get from our clients related to downgrade I-140 and 485%. And if we have time, we'll cover some other questions. Also, just a disclaimer, I would like to provide a quick disclaimer that this event does not create an attorney-client relationship and does not constitute legal advice. It is intended for general information purposes only. All information in this webinar should be independently verified before acted upon. So now let's get started. Um, so a lot of my clients have questions on um, I-140s uh, because you know that uh, October uh, month has been very busy and important for some of our clients uh, who are waiting for the green cards. So if they had a firm filed and approved and they had I-140, which is the immigrant petition, which was filed and approved as well, and uh, most likely under EB2 or EB3, and they were waiting for the for their dates to be current, right? Each month the charts show different dates and which dates they can file their green cards on. So if we remember, if we were attending our, uh, these uh, seminars and webinars, um, last uh, in 2020, October it was a really a crazy month for most immigration, because the dates really moved very fast, and a lot of our clients uh, who were waiting for the green card dates to be current, um, they were like filed under EB two, and the dates uh, moved a lot uh, for EB three, so then they requested us to downgrade their I one forties so that they could file their I four eighty five. Adjustment of status, you know, that's the last step to get your green card. So last year in October, we filed a lot of uh, such cases uh, where we, uh, there were I-140s which were approved under EB-2, but they could not file I-485 because of the EB-2 dates, but the EB-3 dates were current. So we uh, filed another 2nd I-140 for them, which is called downgrading under EB-3. And then they were able to file their I-485 based on the downgate so we were able to do a lot of concurrent uh, i-140 and 485 filings and um, i happy to uh, inform that a lot of my clients got their uh, green cards approved faster because of that cases we filed and uh, they were not even called for interviews because of the covid USS is also being little uh, you know working differently uh, they were not calling for interviews uh, and um, they were also Especially towards the uh, just a few months before October, they were trying to get uh, the dates. Uh, you know, they had this uh, new uh, uh, date start um, from November, so that's a fiscal year for uh, Department of Labor and USA. So they wanted to get rid of some dates uh, before the dates changed, and a lot of green cards got approved. Um, having said that, a lot of my clients who filed last year in October still are waiting for the green cards to be approved too. You know, they could not reach, uh, the USA could not reach their files soon enough. Um, So if you are one of those uh, who have filed 485 downgrade last year and are still waiting, right? And also um, a lot of my clients track their dates every month and um, who have not filed 485. So we did get some requests this year that they want to file their 485. Um, because in October, the dates um, were, uh, like the USA said, uh, you could use chart B. So if you're familiar with the visa bulletin, there is a chart A and chart B. Uh, chart A is the final action date chart and chart B is the um, dates for filing chart, right? So we could use uh, for October and even the new uh, November month visa bulletin, which is already out, uh, we could still use the chart B for that. Um so but there's a difference here just before i go into the questions i will just want to give where the current situation is okay uh, when we got the chart uh, November, october visa bulletin out uh, and uh, usa said okay you can choose the chart b which is the data filing chart so the eb2 for the um, um, for the um, october was uh, in july 8 2012 okay and EB3 was July 8, 2014. So you can see the difference, right? EB2 was like they were uh, saying you could file your 485 if you have a date uh, before July 8, 2012. Whereas uh, you could do EB3 if your dates were before July, January 8, 2014. So some of my clients uh, who did not want to wait, they told us, like, oh yeah, let's go ahead in October and file uh, another downgrade. Um, and let's, uh, so we went ahead and filed downgrade for some of our clients in October um, under ev 3 But now here comes interesting. So the November visa bulletin came out. You know, it comes around mid of uh, each month, the next month visa bulletin. So our November visa bulletin came out um, and then we saw that uh, USC said you could use the chart B. So now the interesting thing is that for November, The EB3 dates retrogressed. So, you know, for uh, October, the EB3 dates were uh, Jan 2014, but in November, they are saying you can file 485 only if your dates are going to be Jan um, 2012. So from 2014, it went back to 2012. So now some of my clients are like, okay, the dates are retrogressing. I'm not sure we want to file EB3 down there anymore. So I've not filed, okay? And so they want to wait, uh, because uh, these the clients who have uh, EB2 approved already, right? And the, for the November month, the EB2 is um, basically um, saying uh, you can do 2013, okay? Um, Jan 2013. So these clients don't really need to downgrade. So if the dates are going to be current in uh, Jan, uh, if they have a date before Jan 2013, they could file the 485 directly under their EB2. So that's why if you are one of those situation who uh, were going to file downgrade in October um, or were waiting for November visa bulletin and now you know what the dates are, you know, USA still says we can use chart B and um, you can see where your date stands. So accordingly, um, you know, you can file under EB2 or if you think it will still help you to downgrade, which may not because November is retrogressed. Uh, and also another question which actually now let's come back some questions which I get. So just to be uh, clear, even if you can file your 485 based on chart B, let's see, you know, uh, you have a date which is showing you are ahead in chart B, you can file it. But USAs may not really approve your uh, 485 till your dates are, uh, sometimes they say each month, right? They can use chart A. So if they use chart A, then they will just only work on the cases which are current as per chart A. So sometimes your 485 may just be pending there. The benefit you do get is that uh, you can file an EAD, which is Employment Authorization, or uh, you can file a 485, uh, sorry, um, Advance Pro, which is a travel document. So now I'll, since we talked about all this background, how the dates were, how you decide if you can do your uh, 485 based on EB3 or EB2, um, let's come to some questions. Uh, so some of my clients who file I-140, they say, should I do premium processing for my I-140? What are the benefits? Um, yes, the benefits of filing uh, premium processing is that uh, I-140, you will get approval faster. So normally you will get it in within around two weeks if there's no RFE, okay? But if it's a downgrade case, if you're filing a downgrade I-140 along with the 485, if you are one of those in October, in this month, we are still filing some downgrade cases, okay? And if you want your 485 to be filed along with your I-140, we do not recommend doing premium same time. Because there is a chance that um, USS may reject your I-140 because the second I-140 you're filing, um, we are using a copy of the perm, certified perm, okay? Because the original
0: perm was- So uh, just to um, start, sorry, we were in the middle of doing the premium, right? So, if we are doing that, um, if you are doing downgrade, we recommend not to uh, not to do as a premium um, because your I was four eighty five can be deducted uh, if we, there's no original perm um, included in it, um, which we don't want to take a chance. So, we always recommend our clients that uh, let's uh, just file regular, and once you get the receipt of I one forty we can try to convert premium at that stage, okay? Because at least you will not get your 485 rejected out front in the mailroom, which has worked for us. Uh, Cases which we have filed, uh, we get the receipt. Uh, For some of those cases, we are able to convert them premium in the first try. Some cases we have to try at least three or four times because the service center comes back saying, oh, we do not have your original perm with us. Um, So file again after 30 days because they want to request the original perm from Department of Labor or the file for the first I-140. So that was about premium. And if you're not really downgrading your uh, I-140, then go ahead. Uh, then you are filing with the original perm. Uh, then you can go ahead and file it with the premium. It will get you faster. That's the benefit. Um, other question we get is that, can I use the I-140 approval notice from previous employer to extend my H-1B? Post six year limit. Yes, if you had H1B approved, uh, um, sorry, if you had I 140 approved, uh, even if you changed employer after filing your I 140, and uh, you could use that uh, I 140 uh, to get your 7th uh, year extension with your uh, new employer, you know, because I 140 is for the uh, future. So the assumption is that you're going to go back to that employer at some point, right? Um, unless you start a new uh, perm process with a new employer. So I-140 is not a feature, you could always change your employer and uh, you could go back to your I-140 employer because it's a feature green card. But if you decide you don't want to go ahead and uh, you still want to use that I-140, then you will have to uh, file a perm and then file I-140 through the new employer and you can request uh, to recapture your date from the I-140, your priority date from the I-140, yes, you could do that. We just have to start the whole process again. Um, Just to here, I just want to throw that if you already had a 485 uh, filed pending for 180 days or more, then, you know, you could just uh, do uh, AC21 and you could move to a new employer based on that 485 as long as they are ready to take over your 485 process, they will have to submit supplement J. You know, you will have to submit with their signature at one place and uh, show that uh, you have uh, changed your employer and you want to take that benefit. So that's very much possible. Um, Another question that can I switch to consular processing after I relocate back to India and continue my green card application? So let's see situation here. You already filed 485 here, which is pending. And somehow the situation with your job or your personal or family situation requires you to move back home. Like let's take example, India, okay? Um, so what are you going to do with your 485, which is filed here? If you're just going traveling for one or two per month, that's a different situation, okay? You just use your uh, advance parole, to travel and come back because your home, your residence is still in the US. You have So once you're 545, you should be maintaining your residence in the US. Um, you should be working here in the US as well, OK? Um, so in, intermittent travel like that is fine. But if you have a situation that you really need to move, you're not going to maintain your residence in the US, and you're not going to be working in the US, you're going to move back to home country like India, then your 485 process cannot continue uh, because uh, you have to be basically staying here. That's the whole 45 processes. So then you should be converting your 485, the process card should be converted to consular process. But here's the thing, you're going to lose your 485 fees. Okay, you cannot get it back. And you cannot just uh, tell the consulates that, oh, please uh, use my 485 fees and transfer it to the consular process. Um, that will not happen either. Um, so, in order to happen that, you will have to uh, have your I 140 file transferred to the National Visa Center. Okay. So, for that, it's a little lengthier process. Uh, you will have to file A24, uh, form A24. And after A24, it takes uh, some time to get approved, it can take months or a year. After eight to four, the file goes to National Visa Center, and after the file goes to National Visa Center, it will um, NVC, which is uh, they'll contact you that we have received your file and we understand that you want to do consular processing, and in that case, uh, they will uh, ask you to submit some fees and you have to do new forms, which can be done as a consular process. So you have to start that whole consular process uh, from the beginning. Uh, which will add more time. Uh, just be prepared for that. So you have to, when you take this decision that you want to do, continue for 85, if possible. You know that's the best way to do, if your family situation or your employment situation uh, allows you. Uh, but if there's not an option, you have to move back, then you will have to start the consular process, and you have to have to pay new fees. Um, along with that, you will have to also, you know, submit new documents. There are more documents needed at the consular process. You have to uh, submit all those documents and just be prepared, it's going to take more time. But it is possible. Um, So another question, any negative impact on my AOS if I relocate back to India? You know, this is the same thing. Yes, it's going to have a negative impact. If you're relocating back to India, then uh, you should um, just think that you're going to lose your I-485 and you have to just start your consular process again. Uh, One other question which we get is that I have been waiting for my days to be current for years. What can I do to expedite the GC process and secure my US permanent residency? Um, So if you are in that situation, your 485 is already filed, okay? And you're just waiting for the days to be current. Nothing much you can do in that case. You have to just wait for your days to be current. Um, Nothing can be done. But if you have not filed your 485, you know, you are one of those uh, some clients we have which are waiting for the dates to be current, and I140 is approved, but they can file for 85 once the dates are current. So you still have to wait for the dates to be current. You know, you can do is uh, you can watch your uh, monthly visa bulletin by where the dates are, but it should be prepared. Let's, uh, it takes us time. Sometimes let's see the data current and our clients say, okay, I want to start my 485 process. There are a lot of documentation which are involved in 485 process and it can take time to get those. So yes, if you are waiting for filing 485, I would recommend that you start working on the documents, which I can list some now. Important ones are your birth certificates. A lot of time we get stuck. At the birth certificate stage, you know, if you do not have a birth certificate, if you have a good birth certificate, issued by the uh, local authority, which would be municipal corporation of the jurisdiction where you were born, you're good. You know, even if you do not have a name, which I'll come to later, but you have a birth certificate, that's what we're going to use to submit with your 485. And if you do not have a birth certificate due to some reason or you lost it, you should work on getting that because that can take months sometimes and, you know, things don't work very fast. With the government, right? Back home. They can take forever. Offices can be closed, or they just take forever to get the records. So please work on getting your birth certificate, whichever place you were born on. It has to be from the government authority uh, with their seal, their signatures, and on their letterhead, a proper birth document. Have that for each family member you plan to do 485. If you have a child who's US born, you don't need to file 485 for them. Nothing needed for them, but your spouse and your children uh, who have to file for 85, make sure you have birth certificates for each of them. And if you do not have a birth certificate, then what do you do? Um, first is let's try to get that birth certificate. And uh, if you do not have, you cannot get it, uh, then you need to get a non-availability of birth certificate from the local authority. It cannot be from the consular. You know, sometimes clients ask me, Oh, can I get from the US consul- uh, Indian consulate here in the US? Or um, was, no, USCS yes, uh, will not accept those. Uh, you have to get it from the government authority in your home country. Uh, the It's a non availability. Basically, uh, the document says that we checked our records and we cannot find the birth record. So we are just issuing this uh, certificate saying that the birth uh, document is non available. So we will need that to file your 485. Along with that, since you do not have a birth certificate, right? So we need to uh, submit some additional documents. Um, those additional documents would be your uh, record, which shows your date of birth, which can be your vaccination record, uh, can be your school uh, school certificates, right, which show your date of birth. Um, any other records you have, which show your date of birth, and we also recommend to get uh, two affidavits uh, from your relatives or friends family, friends who were present there at the time of your birth. Um, basically, they will say that, oh, I was present at the time of birth and I, this is the name, this is the date of birth. So I'm verifying that. Those have to be notarized affidavits and uh, we submit those along with um, evidence if we do not have a birth certificate. So, you know, you see there are a lot of steps involved here, so which can take time. So please have your birth certificates ready or uh, secondary evidence uh, if you don't have one. Other thing would be marriage certificate. If you are filing for your spouse, uh, you would need to submit marriage certificate to show that you are married. So that make sure you have that, and then that has to be again from the uh, local government. Um, so it cannot be just from a temple. You know, you have to get a proper certificate. So these are the documents which normally take time. Uh, rest documents, uh, you know, medicals you will need to get later once your dates are current. Don't get them beforehand because Uh, The medicals have to be submitted within 60 days of the doctor who signs it. Um, And the other thing important, last thing I want to say is that now the government requires that you have COVID vaccine. Um, So in order to file 485, if you have a COVID vaccine, fully vaccinated, two doses, good make sure you are saving that record to submit. And if you did not get one, this is a good time to get your COVID vaccination uh, because we will need to submit that uh, along with your medical record. And if due to some reason you cannot get COVID vaccine due to your uh, religious beliefs or medical health, um, you would need to submit a waiver, okay? But uh, just be prepared. You will be required to submit these documents. So this is things to be prepared. You know, uh, what you can do to be prepared for filing your 485. Now, moving on to the next question. Um, my son has a pending adjustment of status that is a derivative filing on the employment-based petition from my employer. I file my adjustment of status when the date is current under chart B. And now my son will turn 21 years old this month and he's on F1 status. So what will happen to his uh, 485, right? So, this is a common question we faced, uh, and especially after uh, last uh, year, October, when we were filing uh, the 485s under Chart B. So, here is the bad news your date does not get locked under Chart B. Somehow, US is not agreeing. Uh, you know, this has been argued a lot and brought to their attention. But if you file a 485 with a, for a child, who is aging out, you know, uh, they are 20 years old or reaching 21 and you were able to file their 45 in October. But uh, now this October, they are already 21, okay? Right? Um, And if their dates did not become current under chart A, then it's going to be hard for them uh, because the dates only get logged when the dates become current under Chart A, so if you were in that situation, I had some clients who filed 485 under Chart B, but their dates did become current in around June, July, under Chart A, they are good. Their dates locked. They had a 485, so the requirement is you have to file right 485. You have to start your green card process within uh, the dates become current. So even if they filed 485 when it was Chart B, and their dates become current, you know they didn't really have to do anything. Uh, 485. Is already pending and the dates got locked. The age of the child got locked when the dates, let's see, they were um, 20 years and uh, eight months when the dates became current, okay, under chart A. So they're good. Um, Their date got locked. They were lucky. But if you were in that situation that, uh, you know, the dates did not become current for the child under chart A, so, and they already aged out, or they will be aging out before the day's current. So then at that point, when the days become current under chart A, you will have to do a calculation of their um, CSPA age. It's called Child Status Protection Act. This uh, act, It's a, we'll need to have a different topic on that. It's a very detailed act. And uh, normally the child's age is calculated under that act. Uh, Just to give a quick, um, so it has to be seen uh, how long the I-140 was pending. And uh, let's see for I-480 was pending for five months. Um, Then whatever is the age of the child, when the days become current at that age, they will uh, subtract those months or years the I-140 was uh, pending. And then they will determine what is the age of the child at that point. So if the age is still under 21, they will be covered, but if the ch- uh, age is over 21, they are 485, they will get denied at some point when they open and start working on the file. So just keep that in mind. Um, I know we are nearing our session, so I just want to quickly wrap it up. And this is, we were talking about the CSPA. Here is the one thing if you did I 140 under, uh, want to do premium, right? Uh, but your child is aging out. So it's not going to help you to file your I-140 premium because in the premium, your I-140 may get approved in two weeks. So you will be able to subtract only two weeks from your child's age. So in CSPA, it helps that uh, the child's age, um, you can subtract the more time, right? So your I-140 should be pending longer. It will help it's pending one year, two year, even better, We haven't seen I-140s which are pending for two years, unfortunately, unless there's some issue there or RFE comes. Normally they'll get approved within a year around about that time. So let your I-140 be pending longer time so that time can be subtracted from your 480 CSPA age calculation. So I think uh, we have to uh, quickly wrap this up. Uh, We'll have to address uh, the questions some later time. If you have any other questions, you can always uh, email those to us, uh, you know, at info@chuk.com, at or you can even uh, um, feel free to email those to me um, at navdeepchuk.com. At it's N-A-V-D-E-E-P at chuk.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chug.com for legal and immigration and www.chug.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chug LLP team.